0: Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, "Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover?" He said, "Go in, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, "The teacher, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples." And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes, and it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said, he said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When Jesus said to them, even if I must die with you, I will never, I will not deny you. And our disciples said the same. This is the word of the Lord. Church, I have
1: longed to be here this morning with you all week as we come to this table. Told you last week as we jump into the last three chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. It's perhaps All all of this is the Word of God, but perhaps the holiest part to me of the Word of God is when the Gospels take us to the cross and the resurrection. You see, this is the center of our faith. And we've entered into a period of study where we study and read about what the Bible teaches us about what is the center of our faith. Jesus has predicted His death and His crucifixion multiple times in this gospel. As a matter of fact, in chapter 26, verse 2, he's done it for the fifth time in this gospel. The religious leaders then had determined, even though Jesus says, I'm going to die, the religious leaders had determined he must die, which you remind us that God is working through the events of our day, of our world, To bring His sovereign plan about, not that He would overcome the religious leaders and determine their actions, but to show us both by their own moral choices and by God's sovereignty, His will is coming about. If we were to mistake that with the religious leaders, He shows us that last week and this week with Judas Judas making his own decision to betray our king, and yet the Lord Jesus Christ not being surprised about it, and even in his plan using the evil of Judas to bring about his death, burial, and resurrection. So we rest in the sovereignty of our God, not only in the crucifixion and resurrection, but in your life and mine, in the life of this church, and what God is doing in us and through us, what he's doing in your home and in your life and in your job. And where you are, we rest in his sovereignty in that, and the reason we do is because our God, our great God, provided a way of salvation, and it's at the cross. So we come this morning to yet another passage that brings us to the center of our faith. And so we pick up in verse 17, as you did in reading we find here that it's the first day of unleavened bread it's the first day of a celebration that was a jewish celebration and so as we go through the text before us today i just want you to see as you could guess three parts of this text that will help us understand the crucifixion and the resurrection Verses 17 through 19, I want us to see the setting of the crucifixion. I told you last week that it is the Passover. Let's look at that a little more in depth this morning. In verses 26 through 29, I want us to see the substance of the crucifixion. Jesus tells us within the Passover celebration what He is about to do and what it means for us. And you see the table set before me. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And so I want to bring us to this table in a solemn time together and a solemn practice together that is begun right here in Matthew 26 that will be continued by followers of Christ until he comes and he says in verse 29 it will continue until he eats with us again in his father's kingdom and so we celebrate with the disciples of all ages a meal reminds us that our bodies have sustenance in Christ So we'll look at the substance. But then finally this morning, I want to bring us to the scandal of the cross. There's a scandal here. And it's not just Judas. It's us as well. So let's look at it together. First, the setting of the crucifixion in verses 17 through 19. We've already mentioned the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The disciples come to Jesus and they ask, where shall we prepare for you to eat the Passover? To understand that context and understand what is getting ready to happen at the cross, I want us to understand the Passover. And I know as a church, we've been back to ex- Exodus 12. As we come to this table, we can't help but to think about the cross. We can't help but to think about what Jesus is doing here as he's speaking to his disciples and instituting the Lord's Supper. But to really understand that in its full context of God's story, we must go back to Exodus 12 because Jesus is celebrating and the Jews are celebrating the Passover when Jesus is killed. So what is the significance of that? What is the setting of the crucifixion? I would encourage you in your own Bible reading to go back yet again and read through Exodus chapter 12. You will find there that the people of God had been following God when they went following Joseph into Egypt. God had delivered them from famine by setting Joseph to be a ruler in Egypt and God took his people down there and that is where he multiplied them greatly and they stayed in Egypt for some 490 years. But all of those years were not great. They were not years of blessing. They were years of curse and the Bible describes the people of Israel the people of God's time in Egypt as a time of bondage and they cried out to God because they were in bondage oh God save us and so that's where we get the title of the book Exodus in our English Bible because what God does is brings his people out of Egypt out of bondage out of a place of suffering and slavery, and bondage. And from that point, through the rest of our text of Scripture, the exodus... God's deliverance of His people out of Egypt becomes an illustration for us of salvation because your salvation and mine could easily be described as God delivering us from bondage. And He is the God who delivers us. So one day, if you are a believer, you cried out to God because you knew of the bondage you were in to your own sin, to the death that is a result of your own sin, and God God said, I will deliver you. I will provide the way for you to be delivered out of bondage. And so that becomes the picture of salvation that we see. In Exodus 12, God is in the midst of delivering his people. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the God of Egypt, has refused to let God's people go, even though God through his prophet had said to him, let my people go. God had sent nine plagues to Egypt, and He made a very clear distinction between His people and the people who were holding them in bondage, the Egyptians. And in nine plagues, time and again, Pharaoh had said, No, get out of here, and then changed his mind. And God said in the final plague, He will not change his mind. Read the book, read the chapter, God says, I will go against the gods of Egypt and I will show myself greater than any god in Egypt. And so God says to Moses, here's what you're going to do. You go tell the people to find them a lamb, one lamb per household. If your household is not big enough to eat a full lamb, then you join with another house. Probably about 10 to 14 people would eat a lamb. And so they would join with another house, and it's one lamb per household. And they would come together in that household. Now get this, they would get the lamb, one year old, without blemish, and they would keep that lamb for 14 days with them. At the 14th day of the the first month of Israel's new year, God says, I'm getting ready to change your calendar. This will be your beginning of months. At the 14th day, they were to take that lamb in the morning and slaughter it. They were to take the blood that came out of that lamb and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the front door of their homes. And that night, God said the death angel would come. And the death angel would bring judgment upon all of those who were not gods. And when he saw the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses of the people of God, the Bible says he would pass over that house. And so that night there was much weeping and wailing in Egypt because God sent the death angel to say, judgment has come. And the firstborn of every person in Egypt, from Pharaoh's house to the lowest poorest slave in Egypt, the death angel took the firstborn from every home, from every family because of sin, because God has poured out wrath upon mankind. So don't think this morning how unfair is that. God, even in taking the firstborn, was just merciful to Egypt because everyone deserves death. Everyone has sinned and the wrath of God will be and is poured out on everyone but God in his mercy said in this plague as a foretaste of what is to come i will just take the firstborn and it was not only people it was cattle and animals and egypt knew the wrath and the power of a holy god and israel knew the mercy of God, Because the blood of that lamb stood between them and the wrath of God. And that has been the pattern from then until now that God has seen and shown and taught that there must be the shedding of blood in order for forgiveness of sins to come. They were to sprinkle the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. They were to roast the lamb, eat it with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And God that night said, okay, it is time. And the people of Israel left Egypt and God had delivered them. He says in Exodus chapter 12, you're to celebrate this feast from now on as a memorial celebrating God's deliverance. Now in Matthew 26 is the time for God's people to celebrate it again and the disciples come to Jesus and they ask, where should we plan for the meal? There's much preparation that had to be made. They had to secure a lamb. They would have to go and take that lamb at this time to the temple and it would be killed there and the blood would be taken to the altar of God. And so they would then need to take that lamb back and roast it all day and have a place in which to eat it with Jesus and have bitter herbs that they would cook and prepare to have with Him. And so all of these things had to be in place. And so the setting of the crucifixion is a meal in which blood was shed, life was taken, a body was eaten, and deliverance was accomplished. They were celebrating God's deliverance. That's the setting in which Jesus comes to provide redemption for us. Now, let's skip down to verse 26 and look at the substance of the crucifixion. Because in the context of that meal, as they were eating, they're eating the Passover meal. And Jesus then institutes in the middle of the Passover, He institutes another celebration that you and I are gathered together this morning to celebrate because the Passover was about to be obsolete. Jesus was getting ready to fulfill everything that the Passover pointed to. You see, what we know, what you know as New Covenant Christians is that the blood of a lamb could never atone for the sins of people. The blood of that lamb was always pointing forward to something else, to someone else, and He is here. And he's told them, I am going to die. I am going to be crucified. And so Jesus gives us in these words in 26 and following the substance of what you and I are about to do. All that the Passover was pointing to You and I now celebrate a a supper that is pointing back to, because the Passover was pointing to the cross, the Lord's Supper was pointing to the cross, and now it points even us back to that cross. So let's look at what Jesus did in verse 26. He took the bread. This would have been the unleavened bread that they would have eaten at the Passover. They ate it without leaven because leaven would take time to work its way through the bread so that they could have bread like you and I would normally have it. And so they would not take the time to leaven the bread at that point. Jesus said, eat this meal in haste because tonight I'm bringing deliverance and you will be delivered from Egypt. And so Jesus took that bread. The Bible says He blessed it and He broke it and He gave it to His disciples with these words, Take, eat. This is my body. They were eating a meal that was the body of a lamb that had been sacrificed for the atonement, for the forgiveness of their sins. And now in the context of that, Jesus says, here's bread. Eat it. It is my body. John's Gospel, we would learn that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6, Jesus says, if you will not eat my body, you have no part of me. Friends, eating the bread just like eating that lamb was a symbol of identification. These new words may have been unfamiliar, certainly shocking to the disciples. I hope this morning that you can hear, as Jesus says them, the shocking nature of the words to us they point to the ultimate sacrifice, but they point to you and I taking part in the body of Christ and it is not unintended uh, that Jesus takes the loaf and He breaks it first and gives it to them. Friends, His body was going to be broken and it was broken not coincidentally, but intentionally for you and for me. And so when In just a moment, our deacons come and serve you. And you partake of this Lord's Supper. And you take of that little wafer that's in that plate that goes before you. Not a whole loaf, but a piece of a loaf. Would you reflect with me on Jesus' statement, This is my body, broken for you. His body had to be broken that we might be delivered. So while we take this meal with a solemn nature, it is also a celebration because of what our God did. His body would be broken, just like the bread, and his body would be given just like this bread. Friends, salvation is a free offer to you. Jesus broke gave his body to be broken then he took the cup perhaps the most interesting words in the entire account is jesus words here reflecting for us the the statement of jeremiah about the new covenant Because in a similar manner, he takes the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them as well. So, just like this cup was given, Jesus' blood is given to and for us. He says to them, This is the blood, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out. It's sacrificial language. It's covenant language like Jeremiah 31, when God promised a new covenant, He promised to do a new thing, and it was a covenant in His blood. And here, a blood shed must happen for a covenant to be ratified, and that is what is getting ready to happen. And while the disciples had been told this that was coming is the crucifixion five times, now yet again He is saying, my blood is going to be poured out for the forgiveness of sins, and I don't know that that they got it until the resurrection and I want to make sure this morning that you and I get it because the resurrection has happened so we don't celebrate this as only a death this morning we celebrate this because a body was broken and blood was shed but that very body that very blood overcame death for us and now not only brings forgiveness of sins but brings life and eternal life because the one who shed his blood for you the one who gave his body for you overcame the curse of sin for you and for me and now offers not only forgiveness, but life eternal. That's what we celebrate. He says, drink of it, all of you. That's why, friends, when Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 11 and when I bring us to this table on a regular basis, I warn us as Paul warned us. If you don't know Him, the invitation is open to all of us. Drink from it, all of you. But if you don't know Him, you are drinking and eating condemnation upon your soul. Because the life given is predicated on repentance, turning from self and sin, and trust, faith, belief in Jesus. Friends, if you don't believe that His body was broken for you, please don't eat of this bread. If you don't believe that His blood was shed for you and that it covers your sins, please don't take of this cup. But those of us who believe, this is the pinnacle of our faith. We live out the gospel together here. God promised His return. God promised that He would take of this meal, this cup. He says in verse 29, I will not drink of it again until I come. God will come. Jesus will drink of this cup again. And it will be with you and it will be with me. Those of us who know Him, In glory. You see, though, friends, this meal also points us to a scandal. It's not just all a setting and a and a substance, it's a scandal. Look at verse 20. Jesus is there eating at the table, he's reclined, and as they were eating, he says, Truly, one of you will betray me. Friends, there may be someone here this morning that you would identify with. Judas, more than you would with us or with the disciples. Because Jesus saying that, the Bible says that every one of them then became sorrowful and one by one they went down the line. And they were saying to him in verse 22, Surely it's not I. Surely it's not me, Lord. Is it? They knew they wanted to follow Jesus. Surely it's not I, Lord. Jesus says to them, the one of you, one of you who has dipped his hand with me in the dish. I believe this is indicative of the fact that they would all share a dish, right? They're not like me. I don't share a dish with anybody. Unless I'm in Africa. And then I can't help it. They all eat out of the same dish. If you have meat, they would have been eating roasted lamb. It all comes out in one dish. and You all eat it. Jesus is saying to them, it's one of you. While we read this and read it in a way, and He indeed does in verse 25, indicates it's Judas. I don't think in Jesus' original statement He is actually indicating Judas. He's saying it's one of you. One of the twelve. One who is close and it makes the injury worse. It makes the scandal worse that what you think you're doing, whatever your motive, it is evil and it's betrayal, but God's going to use it because I am coming to die but you will betray me. And Judas finally says, is it I, Lord? And Jesus says, you've said so. Friends, there's a scandal here because at the cross, there are perhaps people even in here this morning that will betray the Lord Jesus Christ. You will live your life religiously, but you'll never surrender yourself to Him. You'll never allow the blood to wash your sins away. You'll hold on to them. You'll keep living in them and you'll keep running your own life and you'll betray Jesus at every turn because you demand your way instead of his. There's a betrayal here that leads to eternal death. And I want to warn us of that scandal this morning. You may think you have Jesus all figured out, that you can do a few little things and you can go to church. Judas spent two years with him, three years perhaps. You can think that you've got him all figured out, and you're manipulating the system, and when it gets down to the end, you'll say, "I've done this or this or that or this," or "Lord, here's why you ought to let me in." and Jesus is going to look at you and say, "Depart from me, I never knew you." You see, he was close to Judas. I mean, excuse me, to Jesus, but he didn't know him. Some of the saddest words I believe that the Word of God read for us is there in verse 24. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. Judas is spending eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. Jesus has just told us in a chapter previous to this, in verse 41 of chapter 25, hell was made for the devil and his angels. But Judas and all those who betrayed Jesus will be there. All those who turn their back on Him, they'll have the same eternity. Friends, the scandal here is that the cross exposes whether you trust Christ or not. But not only that, there's another scandal here down in verse 30. Jesus looks at them as they're walking to the Mount of Olives to pray. In verse 31, He says, You'll all fall away because of Me this night. Now here, Jesus is saying something a little different. As a matter of fact, he gives them a promise in verse 32. After I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. Jesus knows that you all believe that you have sold out, that you have committed everything to me, but tonight you all fall away. And certainly as we read on, we're going to find they indeed do all fall away. Quotes Zechariah chapter 13, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. Peter speaks up in verse 33 and says, though they all fall away. Lord, if all these other ones, all these guys, I I know they're suspect. If they fall away, I will not. I will not fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. We'll read about that in the coming days. So we'll not make much comment on it now. Jesus says to him in verse 30, uh, excuse me, Peter said to him in verse 35, even if I must die with you, I'll not deny you. And they all said the same thing. Isn't it amazing how our faith sometimes gives us more confidence than our life reveals? Friends, the scandal of the cross is that it, it reveals my need of forgiveness. It reveals my weakness. Jesus going to the cross, the one who died. Who could imagine a king on a cross? As a matter of fact, that's what they're going to mock him about. Here is the king of the Jews shedding his blood, dying, breathing his last on a cross. And they'll put an inscription above his head and it'll make them all scatter. Friends, here we are 2,000 years later and I would say to you, the scandal of the cross is still there that you and I are serving a king who died and shed his blood. And nobody has a problem that Jesus died. But we don't serve a dead king. We serve a risen Savior who promised he would come back. And the scandal is still, do we believe Jesus is coming back? Do we believe he is alive? Do we believe he is king? And the world looks at us and says, how could you believe that someone came back from the dead? How could you believe that he's coming back for you? And yet when we celebrate this, we're celebrating this meal and anticipation that He is coming back because He rose from the dead. And He is alive today. They confidently assured Him that they would not and they talk like heroes but are scattered like mice in the next verses. What is Jesus doing in this? Listen, I bring us to this table. Jesus is giving them confidence that He knows them. He knows what is getting ready to happen and they don't. He's giving them confidence that He has planned every step of this night as well as every night from now through eternity. He is giving them confidence that He forgives. I'll go before you after I'm raised from the dead. I'll meet you in Galilee. I'll meet you there. So even when you fall away, you remember... I told you I'd meet you there. My, my, can you imagine their delight when the message comes back to them? Jesus said He'll go before you and He'll meet you in Galilee. He's alive and He'll see you there. Friends, He's told us in verse 29, I'll drink and eat a meal with you when I return. Eat this meal in faith. And confidence that our King, our King shed His blood, gave His body so that we might have forgiveness of sins and eternal life.